Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm a traveling man. Made a lot of stuff. Welcome to the 473rd episode of Travel Witch Radio. I'm your host, Dan Schlossberg, along with co-host Mary Ellen Nugent Lee, and this is the 11th season of Travel Witch Radio, the show that lets you enjoy the pleasures of travel from the comfort of your armchair. Every week at this time, we talk to people representing destinations, hotels, airlines, railroads, car rental companies, and others in the world of travel and hospitality, from authors and bloggers to broadcasters and publicists. If it's got anything to do with travel, it's got everything to do with Travel Itch Radio. And tonight, we're pleased to bring to Travel Itch Radio my friend and colleague, Barbara Golden of Florida's Historic Coast. Welcome back, Barbara, to Travel Itch Radio. Thank you, Dan and Mary Ellen. It's nice to be talking with both of you again. Thanks for having me. Well, it's our pleasure. And please tell our listeners what's included in Florida's Historic Coast and exactly where it is. Well, let's start first where it is. It is on the northeast coast, Atlantic coast of Florida. And what it includes is Ponte Vedra Beach, which is a beautiful luxury resort town, beachside, Mm -hmm. and St. Augustine, the oldest city in the United States, and 42 miles of beautiful, pristine beaches. Mm. Now, St. Augustine has lots of history. Not surprising for the oldest city in the United States. Tell us a little about that. So the city of St. Augustine, you know, there were attempts by Spaniards to settle in several places um, on the North American continent from the time that Ponce de Leon um, first laid claim to the land for Spain in 1513. But those were all failed attempts until 1565 because the French decided that they were going to, you know, Occupy North America, and the Spaniards weren't going to have that, so they sent Don Pedro Menendez de Aviles and 800 men, women, children, soldiers, farmers, craftsmen to create a permanent settlement. And they did on September 8, 1565, and it has been a settlement ever since that day. Oh, the anniversary's coming up next week. Oh. <laughs> oh. You might you might say Ponce de Leon was an early tourist in your area. So please share. Did he actually find the Fountain of Youth and can visitors partake too? So 
actually, you know, the, it, it is a fable that he was looking for the fountain of youth. He was actually looking for land to claim for Spain. He was looking for souls to convert to Catholicism. And he was uh-huh. looking for that gold and silver. Well, uh-huh. he did find he did find the souls and he claimed the land. He found no gold and silver. It later became um, kind of a fable that he was looking for the fountain of youth because he found the Tamukwa Indians, which were very tall, robust, healthy, um, and they lived into their 70s and 80s. And you have to keep in mind, Spaniards back in the um, 14 and 1500s and, and 1600s, they didn't live past their 40s, rarely into their 50s. So they were older, they were tall, they were healthy, they had a diet of um, high-protein calcium and, and things like that. And when he came here, there was a stream and there was a uh, a village <clears throat> with the Tamukwa Indians. So it was kind of, it spun from there. The Fountain of Youth is there on the site where the very first Spanish settlement was and that water of with a high mineral content that made, that contributed to the health of this very robust peoples of the Tamuquin. And you can go there and you can drink the water. Personally, wow. I love this stuff. Little sulfury <laughs> tasting, but, you know, I, it's keeping me youthful. Oh, I'm so glad. And we, you know, and we also need to know about the fort and how many times it's changed hands between these different invaders that you mentioned. So the Castillo de San Marcos, it was built in 1672, actually started in 1672, and it was completed in 1695. And it was built of coquina rock, which is the rock formation that we have here that is made of compressed um, sand and shells and limestone um, over millions of years. And it's a very soft, pliable rock until you take it out of the ground and it hardens and it's solid. The Castillo has been sitting where it is for over 300 years. In fact, it's the oldest masonry fort in the United States. And it did change hands a few times, but it was never by invaders. It was built um, by the Spaniards under the rule of Queen Isabel um, Mariana. Excuse me. She ordered it to be built because the city had been attacked by pirates so many times. And uh, Sir Robert Searles was the last pirate to raid St. Augustine before the Castillo was built. And it changed hands only by pen. It was never taken under siege ever. Um, it, when Spain was uh, at the beginning of the American Revolution or at the end of the French-American War, um, Florida was signed over to Britain. And then mm-hmm. at the end of the American Revolution, Florida then be, went back to Spain and then in 1821, it became a U.S. territory. And then during the Civil War, again, never under siege, but it went from a Confederate to a Union fortress mm. just in a matter of days. And it's been in the National Park Service now for over 100 years. Cool. Barbara, the Lions Bridge is also historic. Would you share its background with us? 
Sure. The Bridge of Lions, which you can see from the fort and anywhere downtown, it's one of our most iconic places. It's a beautiful bridge that was first built in 1926, and it connected the Anastasia Island with historic St. Augustine. So that's where the lighthouse, the beaches, the alligator farm, they're all over on Anastasia Island. The Bridge of Lions is a beautiful, beautiful bridge, and it had served the city well for almost 100 years, and it started to go into disrepair, and it was not um, up to Coast Guard standards because it is a working drawbridge. So they had to rebuild it, and what they did in 2007 to 2009, they built a temporary bridge next to it, They dismantled the bridge. They brought it up to what's modern-day navigation codes. They reinforced it so because it was it was being tested by nature, (laughs) and it reopened in 2009. And it is a beautiful drawbridge right through connecting downtown St. Augustine with St. Augustine beaches. We're talking with Barbara Golden of Florida's Historic Coast. Barbara, I love lighthouses and black and white cookies, and you combine both into a very photogenic lighthouse. Please tell us more. Sure. Our lighthouse is actually one of the tallest lighthouses in Florida. So it was it this lighthouse that's there now with its black and white stripes and its red top. It was built in 1878, and it replaced the old Spanish lighthouse that once stood very close to where it is now because of the um, erosion of the um, the shoreline was starting to affect the old Spanish lighthouse that was there. But this one is open now, and you can climb the 219 steps to the top, and you can oh. just look out over the ocean you can see old historic St. Augustine and all the way up our coastline it's just such a great way to look at our city now speaking of lighthouses Florida's historic coast has a lighthouse and maritime museum with lots of photos and artifacts we'd like to know more about that as well as the pirate and treasure museum Sure. So with the lighthouse, there is a maritime museum there, and they have a program that is they have a program that is called um, oh I just went blank. <laughs> they have an archaeology program, LAMP, the Lighthouse Archaeological Maritime Program. So they have um, maritime archaeologists that go out and find the shipwrecks off of our coast. And they bring them back, and they have laboratories where you can watch where they're cleaning up the artifacts they find. And then in the Maritime Museum, which is the Keeper's House, there mm-hmm. are exhibits about – there's two – there's actually three exhibits in there that are exceptionally well done. Um, one demonstrates what the life of the light keepers would have been like, and then the set – over on the other half of the museum is all about the archaeology and the marine archaeology and the artifacts that they found on some of these shipwrecks right off our coast. And then the top floor of the building has a really ex- exceptional exhibit about the shrimping industry here in St. Augustine. Oh. And it, because it, it has been a really part 
important part of our culinary culture. I mean, shrimping in the U.S. really took its roots in this area over 100 years ago. Which brings to talking about maritime history, the Pirate and Treasure Museum that you asked about, it yes. has it has the biggest collection of pirate memorabilia. Pat Croce, who is the biggest pirate fan in the world, opened this museum in 2010. He no. brought it up here from the, from the Keys because he just felt like it was a better fit. He has been passionate about. Um, Sir Francis Drake and Robert Searles and some of the other pirates that actually attacked St. Augustine at some point. So he brought that museum up here, and he tells the story about pirate history, not just in St. Augustine, but throughout the Caribbean. If you're into pirates at all, this is the museum you have to go to. I have to. And also on the must-see list, are the old jail, the original Ripley's, believe it or not, museum, and also the Leitner Museum, which I understand was once the Hotel Alcazar and is filled with Gilded Age artifacts. Can you tell us more about those, Barbara? Sure. So interesting thing about the old jail, and I'm going to tie it to the Hotel Alcazar in a moment. Um, Mm. That is open for tours during the day, but they also have ghost tours that you can go in at night. And it is the jail from the late 1880s. Um, And Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum is housed in the Castle Warden, which was the home of uh, Philadelphia millionaire William Warden. He was a partner with John D. Rockefeller and Henry Flagler in Standard Oil. So he built this as his winter home. And now it changed hands over the years. At one point, it was actually a hotel run by uh, Marjorie Keenan Rollins and her mm-hmm. husband, Norton Baskin. Marjorie Keenan Rollins is the author of Cross Creek and the Yearling. Um, oh, yay, they ran yeah. It as, yeah, they ran it as a small hotel, but then later on, um, it, towards the end of their operating it as a hotel, Robert Ripley was a frequent guest there, and he always wanted to buy the hotel. But unfortunately, he passed away. Hmm. But the next year, his heirs purchased it, and they turned it into the very first Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum. Believe it or not. Oh, cool. Um, it, it is kind of cool. And then tying all three of these buildings, and then Leitner Museum, which was the Hotel Alcazar, was an overflow hotel that Henry Flagler built um, to complement his Hotel Ponce de Leon, which is now Flagler College. And the jail actually sat on the property where right near there, and he did not want his guests anywhere near a jail. So he built the old <laughs> jail outside And the old jail is actually this beautiful Victorian building. And he built that, and then he built the Hotel Alcazar. And right there is also um, uh, the same architectural design, the Ripley's building, is that Moorish Revival. And these are all Moorish Revival and Mediterranean. And there is one more little museum right there called the Villa Zareda, and it Mm -hmm. has... It is 
also of the Moorish design. Henry Flagler did not build that one, but he did. Um, uh, this was built by Franklin Smith, who also built the other of the three big hotels, the Cordova Hotel, which is now the Casa Monica. Hmm. And Lots while we're on the nautical design. theme, your beaches are just beautiful, 42 miles from Pontevedra in the north all the way to Marineland in the south, with Anastasia State Park offering a 1,600-acre natural habitat with four miles of beach, a tidal salt marsh, and a maritime and upland hammock. All of that is good enough for a spot in TripAdvisor's top 10 U.S. beaches. Please tell us more. You know, you're right about that, Dan. We have phenomenal beaches. There are six distinct beach areas that we have here on Florida's historic coast from Ponte Vedra, which I mentioned early on, which is a beautiful resort seaside town. And those beautiful beaches all along there, um, they give way to the GTM Reserve, which is about four miles of natural beaches with absolutely nothing on it. Great place to go shark tooth hunting for fossilized shark's teeth and shells. Then it goes down to Volano Beach, crosses our inlet, and then your Anastasia State Park, which you mentioned, that's four miles of more pristine natural beach with nothing on it. And then you get into the cute little town of St. Augustine Beach and then Butler Beach and Crescent Beach right down there to Matanzas Inlet where Marine Land is. And there you have yet another of beautiful, pristine beaches, and that is part of the National Park Service where Fort Matanzas, our other fort, is a smaller version of the Castillo, sits there. So we have these beautiful beaches, and I can tell you, you can just walk for miles and just beachcomb, swim in the surf, paddleboard, all of it. It's just such a great place to be on the water. Mm. You're listening to Travel Witch Radio now in our 11th season with Dan Schlossberg and Mariella Nugent-Lee. Check us out on iTunes or blogtalkradio.com or visit the Travel Witch Radio Facebook page. And our guest tonight is Barbara Golden of Florida's Historic Coast. Now, Barbara, since we mentioned Ponte Verde, am I saying it right? That's the home of the PGA Tour Gold Academy and the Players Stadium course and even some golf-themed dining, plus the annual Players Championship every May. So is it safe to say your area has lots of both participation and spectator sports? Uh, Yes, it is very safe to say that. So we have... Two golf academies, the PGA Golf Academy, there is one that is right there at Ponte Vedra, and then the World Golf World Golf Village is just outside of um, Ponte Vedra, between Ponte Vedra and St. Augustine, and there's another golf academy there. And there are incredible golf courses. We have 12 championship golf courses here um, mm. that you can play. And at the, at the PGA, the um, Player Stadium course, you would think that that would be one that be private, but you can play. Anyone that plays golf can play that. This is one of the most challenging golf courses in the world. It's very well known for the 17th Island Hole, actually quite famous. And it does, as you mentioned, it is the home of the Players' Championship, which is kind of the fifth major. And it takes mm-hmm. place there every May. 
Um, in addition to that, we have pickleball has become a very big sport here oh, yes. as well, and it is very popular. So right near the um, the, the TPC Sawgrass, there is a um, a facility called the Yards, and they have challenging golf courses, but they're small. There's they're par three, but they're really good holes to play, and they have nine hole courses, but they have an incredible pickleball court. We have our facilities throughout the county. That is our newest one that has mm-hmm. become very, very popular. There's great training. There's leagues you can play in. There's 14 courts to play on. Um, down in St. Augustine, there's a second pickleball ball court facility at um, one of our county parks. Uh, baseball, football, and and they're minor league kind of tournaments. So there's not like it's not like we're having professional baseball and football that takes place here. But young upcoming players are getting great training on some of these facilities here. And then we also have the Ponte Vedra Inn and Club, and at their racket club is ranked the number one teaching racket club in the country. So we have great, great sports facilities. Mm-hmm. And I guess fishing, sailing, and boating must be big deals all year long. And catching fresh fish makes a giant impact upon restaurants. So and you have almost 100 of them on Florida's historic coast. And to me, the best thing about going out to dinner there is that the view can be as good as the food. Yes, it is. And I will tell you, the fishing is incredible because we do have the St. Augustine Inlet that is, you know, gives you access to the ocean. I talked earlier about our shrimping industry. Um, oh, yes. Sport fishing here is amazing. Um, there are dozens and dozens of restaurants where you can get fresh fish every day throughout the year. I like to look at it that this is a great year-round dining spot because we have an ocean in our front yard, and in our backyard is great farm country. So we have fresh everything throughout the year. Um, A really fun thing is when uh, if you go out fishing on one of the charter boats, you can come back. We have a few restaurants that you can bring your catch, and it's called the the from the boat to the fork. So you come right off the boat, take your fish right into the chef, and they'll prepare it for you however you want. It's just a wonderful way to experience. I mean, there's nothing better than a piece of fish that you just took out of the ocean. Oh, yeah. Robert, you have food and wine festivals all year long. What's coming up this fall? Okay, so there's some really good food and wine festivals. We have a couple of new festivals coming online here this fall. Um, the, actually, both take place, there, well, there's one that takes place in October. It's the Ponte Vedra Wine Festival. And mm-hmm. that is taking, that. I'm excited about that one. I can't wait. Um, <laughs> so it's a, a, they're importing wines from all over the country. And there's a big focus on Spanish wine since we have a Spanish background. Um, so it's a lot of wine pairings with foods, our local foods. 
Um, then there is the St. Augustine Wine Festival, and that's similar. That takes place in early November in mm-hmm. St. Augustine, and again with imported wines. Then the new festival that is moved in here, and I'm really excited about, is the, we call it the W3, but it's Whiskey, Wine, and Wildlife. And it actually oh. takes place, yeah, takes place on Volano Beach, and it will have feature um, uh, wine tastings from craft distilleries, um, wines from around the country, and then there will be a component to it that is about wildlife, and there, it, it is actually to raise funds to pre, pre uh, to help assist with the care of wildlife and preventing, you know, loss of wildlife. So there's great, great component to it. And then, of course, they'll have exhibits where you can see. And then the other new festival coming up is we used to have a Daddle Pepper Festival because Daddle Peppers are a um, a, a staple here in in northeast Florida. It's a pepper that came over here we believe from South America, but it was introduced by the Spanish and the Menorcans. And it's a very hot little pepper, but it is tasty. They are have grown that, so now they're turning that into a locally grown festival. And that is going to take place in November as well. So we have some great, fun, tasty events coming up. Mm-hmm. Okay. With time running out... I want to ask you, with so many things to do in limited time, do you recommend people take a trolley tour to get a good overview of the area? Absolutely. That is probably the best way to start a visit. And I will tell you, St. Augustine has become such a popular place, and there's so much to do here. It's best to take a trolley or a sightseeing train tour when you first come to the city because they give you a narrated tour of the whole city, and you get a good feel of where everything is and decide what you want to see with how much time you have. You'll learn about the history. You'll learn about how the town is laid out, and a little bit of a timeline here on on how to best explore during your visit. And we hear you have ghost tours, too. Oh, Uh, yes. Some of those Victorian inns have their share of ghost stories. Yes, they do. We have one St. Francis Inn, which is really a fun inn, and it has it has a very rich history with some ghosts. And, of course, you know, you have the oldest city in the country, and you know there's a lot of strange things that happened over the years. So we probably have over a dozen ghost tours that someone, anyone can take during the year. But, you know, coming up in Halloween is in mm-hmm. October, so there's some extra special ones. And speaking of inns, where should visitors stay, and how long is the average stay, and what would you say are the peak and bargain seasons for Florida's historic coast? So I, my suggestion, there are, there are some great places to stay. We've had a few new hotels come online. The best way to look at it is you can stay in bed and breakfast inns, you can stay in boutique hotels, and then there are some great branded hotels like Homewood Suites and um, the new Renaissance Hotel in downtown St. Augustine. But if you look at floridashistoriccoast.com, there are great hotels to select from there. And I would say any time of year now, it used to be that we had um, 
high and low season, it's pretty much year-round pretty peak. Although I would say September and October are good times to come where you can get better rates, and always midweek is the better than on the weekends. We're talking with Barbara Golden of Florida's Historic Coast. Barbara, how do people get there? Planes, trains, boats, automobiles? And where is the nearest major airport? So most people do come here. We are primarily a drive market, and particularly if people are driving from the northeast down, St. Augustine and Ponte Vedra have always been a great stop. But we are also Jacksonville International Airport is close by, as is the Daytona. We are right between Jacksonville and Daytona, and both of those airports are served by all major airlines, and there is transport from uh, the airport to the hotels. Once you get into St. Augustine, you don't need a car, so I would just take an airport shuttle and not bother with the rental car. It's easy to get around here. Mm-hmm. Well, how to tra- yes, how do Travel Itch Radio listeners learn more about St. Augustine and Florida's historic coast? Well, it, I think the best bet is to go onto our website, Florida's with an S, historiccoast.com. That's floridashistoriccoast.com. And certainly we have robust content, lots of information on that website from everything from where to stay, where to play, where to eat, and how to, how to get on a fishing charter. That's great. And our guest tonight has been Barbara Golden of Florida's Historic Coast. Thank you, Barbara, for joining us on Travel Itch Radio. Thank you. Thank you both so much for having me. I always enjoy talking with you. Thanks very much, Barbara. And that's it for this edition of Travel Itch Radio. Next week, same time, same station, same writers, same announcers, we'll mark the anniversary of the September 11th attacks by learning about what happened and what's going on in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, part of the Laurel Highlands. Now, this is Dan Schlossberg, along with Mary Ellen Nugent-Flee, saying thank you for your time this time. Until next time, good night and stay safe. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.